Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Do you have a standard process or order of things that you're looking at when you're reading the, the data? And before you go into that, I mean, someone listening to this, whether or not you've got the AI Swim Better devices or not, this stuff is still relevant, even if you haven't got them, because you know, these improvements in technique can come whether or not you have the devices. These are the, just things that, that becomes very clear when you do use them and actually measure these different things in your stroke. Yeah, yeah. You make a good point there. Before, and before we go into the data, I, I really like your point that you've got to focus on your one or two things because there's a million things on the net. And there's a million articles you can read. And if you try to change all of them, then you're stuffed because most of them, probably all of them, have never seen you swim. <laughs> and if they haven't swim to you swim, then they are a solution for someone else's problem. And what use is that? They're, they're great gen fixes. What I like about the device, it actually narrows down into where your stroke is missing. Now, I would have seen probably, there's probably four or five common patterns within the swimmers that I've been working with on the device. You can miss it at the front, you can get it at the back, you can get it at the front and then miss it at the, at the back, you can... Get it at the front. This is a pretty common one. You get it at the front, miss it completely through the middle, and then get it at the back. There's plenty of them, and each of those individuals could be athlete. But if you're worrying about what everybody else is saying on the internet and, and whatever everybody else is solving, how they're solving their problems, and they're not your problems to solve, then look, I, I, they're not wasting your time, but you've definitely not gone the most efficient way about it. So I think that's a really important point to make, that whether it be with these devices or with your coach, most of your problems are solved with the top two issues, um, rather than going into everything, find out what's wrong, get someone who understands swimming or get a pair of these devices and, and work out what's wrong. Otherwise, you're just going around and around in circles and trying to change something and that doesn't work. You try something else, doesn't work. It, it really is a waste of time. So I'd say narrow down to the one or two things. And to that point, you hear, I hear coaches, and while I work with a lot of very good coaches, I get some that will stand there and Tell the whole squad the six things that they want done well in this in this set of six 100s. And even that, I can't get six things right at once. I'm, you know, as I said, pretty simple brain. I can get one or two. One, like give me two and I'm probably going to battle. So I'm going to get one. So you need to find the one thing that's going to make a difference. And you go searching for the one thing. You don't go searching for the six. Um, and then once you've nailed the, the one that's the most important, then find the one that's next most important. But I'm going to almost guarantee you that the one that's most important is probably 80% of your problem. Mm -hmm. Fix that, get down to why that's happening, then you can get to what's next, which is why I love these devices, but also why I love coaches because they can help you get there if you're, if you're that swimmer. And if you're a coach who doesn't know and isn't sure, get onto a coach that does and build your network and, and get some opinions as to what the number one most important thing is. A little bit off track, but that's super important to say, I think. As far as with, my device, with the devices go, I like to go to the to the overall where we get the all the to the total force bars at the beginning and we get the stroke rate and I like to see the trend and compare our right arm to our left arm and see what's happening on total force. That's my first snapshot, uh, and then from there, like there, there's some great stuff in the middle of that. I, I like to go straight from that into what's happening within each stroke and then work out where my total force is, and then work out how my total force reflects and relates to my my propulsive force. I've seen some swimmers, plenty of swimmers with where it looks like we've got a right hand that's really powerful and they feel, oh, my right hand's really, really strong and my left hand isn't so strong. 
And then I go into their propulsive force and I have a look and their propulsive force on that right hand is weak, but their total force is high because mm-hmm. a high percentage of it isn't actually driving them forward, but they feel like they've got force on their hand. So, and it's been exactly opposite of what they've been trying to fix. So that's sort of my go-to because I like to I like to look at graphs and see how the uh, see how it's represented in, in the in the force in the force versus time graph. So that's where I go with it. I like to look at the force field. I probably look more at the numbers on the force field than the graph itself. The the visual representation is good for me, but the numbers represent for me something really important when we can say, okay, well, you are spending ten percent of your uh, force on the right or on on 10% right, 1%, 2% left, you're pushing, pulling up too much, like you said. And that gives me a, a good overall snapshot as well. Because mm-hmm. I think to be able to open up and get a snapshot and then to be able to compare the snapshot. So go from one event, check it out, test it out, show the athlete, and then go again and say, hey, you, what you've just done has minimized your, your, when you're sweeping under your body, you're actually sweeping half as much as you were before. And that has meant that your total propulsive force has jumped up by 5 or 10%. It's super, super valuable. And I think because of the simplicity of it, we don't need to go into the, into the deeper graphs with the swimmers because we don't want to overcomplicate the process. We just say, look, the numbers are better. We don't even have to show them. We can just say, yep, that's 5% increase. You're going the right way. What did you do there? How did you find that? Go again and see if you can, see if you can shift it a little bit more. So my processes are a lot more around those graphs. I also like to look when I've looked at the, the force field, I then go, go into the hand paths because we've got a hand path that gives us an idea of what's happening from side on. If I spot too much lateral force, I'll look at the hand path from above. So with, if you haven't seen the swim better screen, it shows a swimmer from above and then the path of their hand through their stroke. If we've got too much lateral force, it shows it up without even needing a video. And because we can't get a video above an athlete, we, we get a really good idea of the hand path. It shows that almost as if we're seeing through the athlete. I, I really like that one. And then we can look at the head-on and, and see from head-on how deep they're going, but then how wide they are sweeping. We've got a lot of athletes. I've seen a lot of athletes with a, with a sweep across the body. We tend to see quite a few who are, move back from the camera a little bit, that are sweeping out and catching quite wide out here. We catch that really nicely. And then we head back into the, into the force field. We can then quantify that. And then if we need to, if we need to go deeper, and it probably more if I'm in a meeting than rather I'm on pool deck and I'm meeting with the coach, I'm going to say, well, this is what your numbers look like. This is what your path looks like. And here is how it's affecting your force because your total force might, might look like this. When we drill down to your repulsive force, you're actually about half of what you're doing because your hand is waving around all over the place or collapsing under your body. So that's my process with it, which differs on each athlete because some athletes are too much downforce, too much upforce. And then we go back and forth with, with the data. But that's how you can, for me, that's how I talk to my coaches. And I simplify that with my athletes. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $228. US Now, they've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have that one-year membership included for free and then if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards it's only 15 us dollars a month where you get access to their workouts training plans and their custom workout builder but you'll always have access to the real-time data of the goggles so you'll never lose access to that so if you'd like to swim without stopping to look at a pace clock or your watch and get live metrics right inside your goggles including your time distance pace 
They are right there in your goggles with form goggles. I've used these for over 12 months now and I'm a huge fan of these goggles and use them for a majority of my sessions and find them very helpful, especially for gauging my time, my effort and my pace. And I think it's a very helpful tool for the majority of swimmers that I would normally work with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of form goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon code effortless at checkout. Mm, that's good. Thinking of how I go through it, I'm s similar, particularly the, the force field. So it tells you the percentage of where the forces are going, whether left, right, up, down, backwards, which is just a, an amazing snapshot to see how how effective you are with your with your arms under the body mm. and uh, and then yeah going back and forth to actually seeing the path of the hands i've got one athlete that that we saw on all of her breathing strokes when we look at the mm. above bird's eye view where's that hand going we saw so much lateral so much side to side force compared to the other ones that we've just focused on that how can we go about making that a smoother path so it's like a, a skinny s shape rather than this this big wide big wide s that is just not doing much to move you forwards and if you're breathing every two strokes or every three strokes and that's happening well that's a large percentage of your total strokes where you can get perhaps another 25 or 30 percent out of that stroke which is not insignificant in any way it's massive to be able to pick that up especially as they fatigue and probably that's the second thing worth worth talking about there is and why I go to my overall view right at the beginning is the decline in power as they go through the race and we're wanting to hold on to power through the race. And we see the, the graph just fall away in power as we watch the, maybe through 100 or through 200 or 400, we watch it fall away. Well, through a set, looking at one the other day, we did six 100s and the first 100 was great and they kept the power up. But as we as they went through the session, we were, we were at 50% of the power the total force by the end of the session than they were at the beginning, which is a really poor distribution of, of force across a race. So if you're swimming a 400 or an 800 or even a 200 and you've got half as much power at the end of the race than you do at the beginning because you've used up too much, that's significant for your loss of speed, but it's also significant in picking apart, okay, what are, what are we doing at the end of the race? Are we losing power? Are we running out of energy? Are we less efficient? To your point, are we breathing higher? And then are we rolling more and is the increased roll, meaning we're off balance and then we're losing power? So then we can not only say we're losing force, but why are we losing force? Let's have a look at that one stroke at the 150-metre mark or 175-metre mark and compare it to the one stroke at the 25-metre mark and let's have a look at, at the comparison of where you're falling away. That data is unbelievably valuable. So I'm starting now to look into not only fixing up a stroke within, within 25 or 50 metres, but how the decline starts to happen and, and what's happening towards the end of the race. Now, what's happening when your legs are on versus your legs being off? So the more we're understanding about it, the more I'm evolving probably in my use of the data as well. Yeah, that's that's a really good one to be able to actually show a swimmer how that's impacting, how their fatigue is impacting them yes. across a 200 or a 400 time trial. Yep. That's a yep. great way to use it. The one thing I noticed when I have recorded myself is – when I breathe every two, the if I breathe to my left, my right arm power is quite a bit more. So typically, if I breathe to my left-hand side, my left strokes are averaging around two and my right strokes are averaging 2.6 to 2.8, I think it was. 
So I attribute that to having the perhaps I'm perhaps I'm just you know, rotating a bit more, but having the head come back down and just putting a bit more into to that stroke when I come back with the breath. Yep. And the same thing happens when I breathe to my right. The left stroke is, is more powerful. And yep. then if I'm breathing every three, it's quite even. It's about 2.3 to 2.4 per stroke. So that as well, had no idea, but was was very interesting. And I'm yet to decide whether, yeah, is is that the right thing to be doing? Is it Should you have more power on, on one arm if you're just breathing every two? I'd probably need to get a, a wider data set, I think, for that and, mm. and see what the some of the top guys are are doing but i just found that really interesting it's super interesting on a few levels i like to well we did probably 80 percent of our work technically on our breathing stroke because the other strokes looked after look up themselves you can keep breathing stroke right so to be able to measure it is, is one thing the other thing and i remember having an athlete who loved breathing on, on one side over the other and she was insistent because it was familiar and what she'd been doing since she learned to swim breathing on one side and i thought the other side was a more efficient stroke so it was always an arm wrestle to get her to change sides. Um, but I know that the other side was great, but because I felt unfamiliar and it didn't feel right to her because it was unfamiliar, she wouldn't change it. I had another athlete that loved breathing threes, and I'm not a big fan of breathing threes. She was a middle-distance kind of girl, and I like breathing twos. She wouldn't get out of the, her three pattern. So I had to actually physically say, okay, let's do a bunch of 50s on your right and a bunch of 50s on your breathing threes. I'm going to see which one's faster. It was 0.8 quicker breathing breathing twos and it was breathing threes because she had one side that was so inefficient. But it was an arm wrestle again. She always kept wanting to go back to threes because that felt familiar and she could watch both sides of the race. It was like, well, you can watch both sides of the race, but if you're watching somebody go past you, that's no fun. So, But it was still an arm wrestle because I have to be a salesman and if I haven't got all the tools available as a salesman, then I can't sell the product as well. So this data would have helped me sell it and say, hey, you can do all you want there, but you're actually swimming it. A slower race with, with less power across the across across whether it be a fifty or across a, a bunch of hundreds or across you know eight hundred meters. So this is where I think it, it, it is super super valuable to be able to quantify what we're doing, mate. Before the call, you you mentioned there's a coach been mentoring for about five years, and there was something that you're sort of able to like a point you're able to get across because of the the data you could show. Could you go into yeah, what yeah, you're talking well, about there? We, we, we're starting like. We're starting to play a little bit with these now. Now that we're understanding a bit more about what they're about and what they can provide, we're starting to play. So I like to go back to good drills, and I hate rubbish drills, but drills done well are super, super important. And I've only I've got probably two or three to take up eighty percent of my of, of my repertoire with drills because I, I want to travel as much as I can from the front to the back of my stroke. So I use drills that are going to do that. So we were starting we started to get a drill profile on our right arm and our left arm and have a look at what the impulse looks like on our forces as time graph and then start to swim, swim aerobically, see what it looks like there, swim at around about PB plus five to six and see what it looks like there and then descend down to 100 metre race speed and work out where our sweet spot is, what we call our, like our Goldilocks power where they had the most amount of power and they had the most amount of travel before they went too fast and they started to slip to get speed and then compare that back to the drill and see where we were at our best. And for one athlete, we had the drill was done really well and then as soon as they started to swim, they, they, they fell off balance because they were rolling around too much and in the drill they were very stable. So we had a completely different stroke pattern. It was like, well, this is fantastic, but there's no drills at state championships as well as you're doing it. It doesn't matter if you can do a one arm at a time. If you can't put it into your swimming, then it doesn't count. So 
that's an argument I like to put forward before the devices. But again, when we've got physical data to say, hey, you can hold water like this, you're just not doing it in the thing that we're training for. So we started to play with that and that concept was very, very cool. So we started to make up drills and play with drills and which was the drill that would lead most closely to the stroke that we wanted for the athlete. So then they, they tried the drill. We looked at the data. Okay, which one links best into your freestyle? Okay, this drill works best. This one you can feel in your freestyle. Here's, here's where your freestyle data looks closest to your best drill data. Okay, that's, that's the drill for you. But this drill here, which was a drill that is done very, very badly, which is single arm with your hand by side, actually was promoting slipping through the stroke uh, where this athlete did this, this drill particularly badly. Uh, and, and then that, that was the drill that they were using as a go-to to get to adding more power to their stroke. They're actually detraining their stroke. So we learned all of this by being able to show them that this, this data on their favorite drill was actually getting in their way. Mm. What drills do you go to and what drills are you using? So single arm with the arm by the side, first of all, are you having them breathe to their opposite side or to the same side that they're yeah. stroking with? Yeah, that, that's a drill that I like when it's done well, but the majority of the time I dislike because it's done so badly. Because I want a stable body through from the catch to the pull, basically. I want the body to be stable and I want that, that force to be maintained. What we're seeing with that drill what I see, and I'll move the camera back a little bit more. What I see with that drill is that swimmers miss the front of their stroke and they slide across their body and they miss the back of their stroke. And we're seeing that in the data as well, that they will basically be getting almost no impulse versus what they could do in their swimming. So it's significantly worse. <laughs> if they do it well, they anchor on here, they hold their angle and they, they produce good power through their core. But most of our swimmers aren't balanced enough to swim well enough, let alone to do a drill that's harder than swimming. So they can do that drill great, it's fantastic. So most of the swimmers can't. So I like to start with the drill where their hand is out in front because I like the swimmer when they're learning something or any athlete in any sport, when you're learning, you need to be balanced. If you are off balance, you can't, the uptake of a skill doesn't happen as quickly. So I like them to be balanced. So when your hand's out in other hands in front, then you can pull through and you can, you can, you're balanced and you can, you can actually apply force the way you want. And then your brain, can send the right patterns to your muscles and the muscles can send the right patterns back to your brain and say, hey, this is a good effective way to, to produce force. So hand in front is my number one. That's my number one drill. Also don't mind it with a fly kick because it helps engage the core and keep the hips nice and stable and we seem to get stable patterns off those. So those two for me are very, very good for establishing how you want to feel through the water. And up to now, because we've had to use our gut, it's all about feel and it's feel the amount of power you've got when your hand sits to the front of your stroke and then hold through the back of your stroke Feel how much hand on a single arm butterfly drill. Feel how much power you've got. Is that more or less powerful than your butterfly? Sorry, than your freestyle stroke. And generally, it's more powerful. It's like, what are you doing having more power in the drill than you do in the stroke that you're actually being timed at? So we make the crossover. We make the connection. So them, they're two of my big ones. I like a long dog drill. That's, that's another one I like to like to use to get them to feel the power without having to deal with a with a rotation. The, the drill that I absolutely despise has done a really worse than a single arm drill is a thumb drag drill because it seems to as soon as you put a thumb drag drill they've either got to wait and do catch up or their arms swimming around under their body and producing the force that we're seeing is detrimental to the stroke so drills that i love drills that i hate hate's a strong word but <laughs> but if i were kids in the water for 12 to 18 hours a week and they're doing drills that are making their stroke work i just want to just get them out of the water and just, you know, just, just 
you, you've got a limited amount. Actually, you know what? You haven't almost got a limited amount of time. You've got so much time, much time as you want in the water. And then you're doing drills that are going to make it worse. You're waking up at 4.30 in the morning to make your swimming worse with the drill because you're not thinking about it. I'm going to get on, on, my, on my soapbox a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> what we're learning is with the devices that these drills actually are detrimental to stroke. We've, we've known it, but now we can tell them, don't do that drill. It's destroying your stroke. Let's do a drill that adds to your power. So, again, long answer to a short question, but they're the drills that I like and the drills that I don't, but more importantly, probably why for me. That's, that's great. Look, you and I, I think, are on the same page with like a thumb drag drill. Mm-hmm. I have come across quite a few swimmers that adults that are jamming themselves up in their recovery because they're trying to swim like they're doing a thumb drag drill and it it causes that over rotation causes them to lose balance so the the closest thing that we would often do to that would be just your 616 drill Mm -hmm. your six kicks one strike changeover but i make sure when they're doing their recovery that they're not coming like really high over the water and hand close to the body just keep that hand away around to the side a little bit where you'd be if you were swimming well because that way you can keep your balance with your arm out in front and you're not going to be going past 90 degrees rotation and losing that balance which, which we sometimes see with some you know with some drills like that so that's interesting that you have come to the same conclusion because yeah i don't think i've sure. really given that to anyone before because i just see it as making the stroke worse and we've had to come up with our own drills sometimes just to just to work on the catch in the pool and get adult onset swimmers people who haven't learned as kids yeah. just to be able to find the position that they need to be in for their catch and pull and just to slow things down and break down that that movement and then you can you can build it back up and i love love long dog love love single arm and i did a video a couple of months ago where i asked kia melverton who you know up in queensland Mm -hmm. i said what you know what drills are you normally doing long dog single arm and there's one more i can't think of the off the top of my head but they're the go-to drills and she is a great, great swimmer, great looking stroke. And it's no wonder that she's doing those drills and she's got such a good hold of the water. hundred percent. Getting back to what you were saying before about the, the thumb drag, I understand that people want to look pretty and it does look pretty. It looks beautiful. But if you're pretty and swing slower, then what's the, what's the point? I, I changed a swimmer. We worked with a swimmer a couple of days ago. She said, it feels weird. It doesn't feel right. It feels messy. I said, do it, does it feel messy or does it feel unfamiliar? Because it feels messy. So I was like, okay, well, would you prefer to be messy and, and, and first or, or pretty and last? But she was, she had her elbow directly above her shoulder in her front mm. and We want to be balanced. We want to have our front propulsive phase for most of it. We want to have our belly facing the floor, facing the bottom of the pool, to keep our core on, to keep balanced. If our elbow is above our shoulder, we can't physically be propulsive. We can't be on the belly if we're on our side. Which is why, to your point right at the back at the beginning, if you don't get your breathing stroke right at the right time, then you're trying to be propulsive when you're on your side and you can't do it. And I challenge everyone to go home, go back into the pool and try it. Get on your side and then try to pull through while you're physically on your side or while you're breathing. We know it doesn't work. Anyone that can do it, you're probably either in Cirque du Soleil or you're, um, or you're better than you think you are because most of the best in the world. Some of the really, really good kids can, can roll a little bit and be propulsive because they can hold their core stable but it's a rare thing. Or more often than not, you lose core control and you just what what looks to be like an elbow drop at the back of the stroke really is about you losing your balance position. And when you'll see if you are losing your balance position, your legs will switch or your arm will go across your body or slide out at the front. 
Um, they're, they're your indicators that you've lost your balance. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.